0: It is my duty, however, for I am sure you would wish me to state the facts as I see them to you. It is my duty to place before you certain facts about the present position in Europe. From Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended across the continent. Behind that line lie all the capitals of the ancient states of Central and Eastern Europe. Warsaw, Berlin, Prague. Vienna, Budapest, Belgrade, Bucharest, and Sofia. All these famous cities and the populations around them lie in what I must call the Soviet sphere. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Food for Thought. As always, this is your host, Jonathan Coots. Today, as with every episode, I'm excited to bring you some great and exciting information. This is a topic that I have found extremely, extremely interesting. It is doubtless one of the most interesting eras of history. Moreover, it is possibly one of the most important eras of history as well. So much of what we are dealing with today is a direct result of what happened in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even the 80s. We are discussing in a short series of episodes the half-century-long conflict known as the Cold War. And the quote that I just read was from a most famous description of the beginning of this event, a description given by none other than Winston Churchill. Unfortunately, I cannot do a good Winston Churchill impression, otherwise, I would have tried. He was the one, though, that coined the term the Iron Curtain, even before the Berlin Wall was established. It was, the Cold War, primarily a conflict between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, though it is Infinitely more complex than that, the UK, of course, is involved, so is China, Korea, and many other nations are affiliated with it as well. Truly, truly, though, the conflict was between two ideas, two styles of government, two styles even of existence. The freedom of a democratic republic and the control of Soviet-style communism. So then, the question must be begged, why is this an important topic to talk about and unravel? Well, to get the best understanding of where we are now as a nation in the current geopolitical stage, as they call it, we must gain an understanding of where we have been. This is, of course, common knowledge. To know where we are going, we must know where we have been, or so the maxim goes. Therefore, we must go all the way back to the very, very beginning of where this conflict began. Where is it? Where would I place the beginning of the Cold War? I would say it began in November of 1917, or at least the potential energy for it began then and later on. That potential energy would transfer into the kinetic energy as if a boulder had been pushed over a precipice. One could even argue that it was possibly even earlier than that, all the way back on July 4th of 1776. Why then? Because that was when the United States of America had a great experiment, the experiment of which we are still reaping the benefits from. Again, why so much earlier than the 50s? Because it is a fundamental truth that the Soviet Russia and the United States of America were antithetical creatures From their very outset, from their very nature, their DNA was hostile to each other. And in this first episode in this series, we will be discovering and unraveling that very idea. It is important to note that what America did was unique. The idea of self-liberty is the new one here. The precedent throughout history was for the opposite. The state has the right to rule usually ordained by God. The state holds the power. The state or the king has seen fit to give it to the paupers and the plebeians. Instead, the USA had this radical idea, taking bits and pieces of wild and ludicrously outlandish thought strains. They combined them into a constitution. This constitution says the following, We, the people of the United States... Right there is the most important part, the people. In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America." You see, for almost all time, excluding a very, very small portion of the couple hundred years of the Roman Republic, which, in all honesty, wasn't a true republic for the last half century, or possibly longer, of its existence, power did not belong to the people, but to whatever kind of government ran the land, and certain rights, or sometimes, in most cases, no rights were afforded to the general masses. This is why the United States was always meant to be and going to be the enemy of the Soviets. A democratic republic can exist in a world where Soviet Russia exists, but Soviet Russia cannot and could not exist in a world where the U.S. existed. These ideas were always going to be antithetical. These nations were always going to be enemies And we'll get to more about that in the next episode. But for now, let's go back in time a little bit. Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Harrison, John Hancock, Samuel Adams, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, and of course others. These are the founders of America. Obviously, you all know that. These are real names. These are true names. These are not disguises, nor are they pseudonyms. Those are birth names. Now, Vladimir Ilyich Ulanov, Iyasev Jugashvili, Lev Davidovich Bronstein. You also know these names, and of course... I cannot speak Russian proficiently, so that last one was a little bit hard for me. I apologize for the pronunciation, if any of you knows better pronunciations. The first one of those names, you might be able to guess who that belongs to in history, though, because his name hadn't changed too much. But who are these people? Well, these are the founders of the Soviet Union, or at least three big heads of them. Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin, and Leon Trotsky. All of those are fake names. They're revolutionary names taken on by revolutionaries. They took fake names not willing to use real ones. One might say that this is an unimportant fact, but I would say that it is telling beyond all. It is telling of the individuals who started this workers' revolution. Let's now go back to the 1917s, when Mr. Ilyich Ulanov arrives back in Russia from his spell in exile. He had been exiled as a result of a charge that he was a German spy. This was not the first time, nor the only time he'd been exiled. Before this, he'd been in Siberia, but later on, he'd kind of transferred, I believe, to uh, Switzerland, which is where he came back from. But he'd been in exile before in Siberia, which was not yet the death sentence it would become in 20-odd years. Far from a life of ease, though, the winters were bitter, but it wasn't a prison sentence either. One could expect to read and write by a fire in a secluded cabin far in the woods. The dreaded Gulag Archipelago was yet to be formed. In the meantime, though, Mr. Ulanov would spend much of his time here, creating what would become the Vanguard Party, writing letter after letter to other revolutionaries. Now, as for the Swiss exile, he'd been placed on a special train and pulled up after the February Revolution, or the overthrow, of Tsar Nicholas. He'd been unpopular, the Tsar especially, after his failure in the war effort. After taking over the war effort completely, he slaughtered hundreds of peasant-class Russians. They, the Russians in general, were not prepared for the total war of the Great War. Whole parties of soldiers were unequipped with firearms. So they told this infantry to march forward and pick up the weapons of their fallen and dead comrades. It is not hard to imagine the anger that would kindle in the hearts of this working class. All it took was some cunning, cunning enough to manipulate that very anger. Enter Vladimir Lenin, who quickly and expertly began to rile up the masses, creating the Bolsheviks... Uh, He actually created these a long time ago because that anger was deep-seated, I am sure, by this peasant class, and, by contrast, the Mensheviks. These mean, respectfully, the majority and the minority. Yet, ironically, the Bolshevik party was actually the smaller of the two despite meaning majority. Now, post-February Revolution, a semi-provisional democratic government had been established. Alas, with the arrival of Lenin, this was destined to fail. From his youth, Lenin rejected two things religion and classical liberalism. As the myth goes, he'd given up on both ideas when he watched his older brother get beaten and executed. As this happened, he was driven to a new level of extreme revolutionary ideas, and he took the cross decoration that was in his house and he threw it into the garbage. This is the foundation of what would be the Soviet Union, a man who throws a symbol of love and sacrifice into a garbage can. Moreover, a man who is thrown into exile for revolutionary ideas and whose brother is executed for the assassination attempt of a king. As I spoke before, during Lenin's time in Siberia is where many of his ideas spawned and where he created his vanguard party. The Bolsheviks uh, existed before uh, he arrived back from the Siberian train. But in his exile, he created this vanguard party. What is the vanguard party, you might ask? Well, it was, Lenin believed to be, the necessary nucleus of any revolution, without which no revolution could survive for very long. For undoubtedly, revolution could slowly fizzle out of the hearts of the people. So a tight group, an organized party, could often rekindle that passion with a new spark of extremism sentiment. That was the vanguard party. The party that could leap forward and be a vanguard for the people protecting their revolutionary spirit. Back to the world of Russia and the Bolshevik party was constantly decrying the war effort and exploiting the failings of the Tsar. With constant blunders made by the Russian armies, they had plenty of fodder. And as we talked about with the lack of weapons, the Tsar abdicated under the immense pressure of his failings. The provisional government then came about, and so too did Lenin. He delivered his April theses when he arrived back, in which he famously called for all power to go to the Soviets, the Bolsheviks, giving no support for the democratic provisional government. And, of course, he delivered his highly relatable slogan of bread peace and land for all. This is when the Cold War really starts in my estimation. The October Revolution, which actually took place on November of 1917 by Western calendars, the Bolsheviks stormed the capital and easily took it over, only later mythologizing it as a great and terrible battle. There was a joke that more people died in the recreation of the battle for a documentary years later than who actually stormed the capital. Now, an interesting and, I think, rather important bit of information here is that most of this, air quotes, dirty work was actually organized by the great mind of Leon Trotsky, the actual overthrow and um, revolution of the October Revolution was actually organized by Leon Trotsky, as after Lenin gave his April thesis in public, he quickly went into hiding, because he was still an extremist person who was an exilee, I guess you could call him. So the October Revolution was actually organized by Trotsky and not Lenin. Only after power was claimed by someone else did Lenin crawl out of the gutters. Once taking over the party, he wasted no time, though, in creating a government based on what they wanted, this vanguard. The first being the following. Lenin was a fan of what he and his vanguards called democratic centralism, where people could collectively give an opinion on a topic in the public square, for example, this being the democratic portion. But when one of his vanguards, or himself, makes up a mind... All deliberation is over. If his opinion was swayed by the masses, so be it. If it wasn't, well, all's fair in love and war, and no doubt about it, the Soviets were always at war. This was assured by the vanguards, who constantly have to rekindle revolutions and wars in the hearts of the people. By 1918, the Bolsheviks had become the party, as this was still a slightly democratic system, they having developed more of a bureaucracy called the Politburo, who had to make some decisions. But not long after they came to power, they shed the cloak of Bolshevism and renamed themselves the Communist Party. They also wasted no time in making all other parties illegal, in taking complete control of the media and to include newspapers, radio broadcasts, and television, as well as internal trade. One other very important bit of information, and a very important date, takes place in December of 1917, known as the Day of the Czechists, which is when the Cheka was founded. These were the terrible, terrible secret police that would later be renamed the KGB and the NKVD. Their goal was to stomp out any counter-revolutionary sentiments or ideas of sabotage, a broad enough mission that they could easily depose of any political adversaries of Lenin later on of Stalin. Now, the vanguards had more than one goal. Yes, they wanted revolution in their own nation, but more than that, They had hoped that this revolution, this workers' revolution in Soviet Russia, would be a spark for the proletariat of many other nations to revolt as well. Now, for those who don't know what proletariat means, it means essentially working class person, a plebeian, it means the same thing, pauper, poor person. They always call it in communist terms, the proletariat. So they hoped the proletariat of many other nations would revolt as well. This would become a very important running distinction when Stalin and Trotsky ran for um, the throne when Lenin dies. They ran under two different banners. Trotsky believed that their mission should be to spark revolution in other people's hearts, in other nations, And Stalin ran under the Socialism in One Nation clause, the the idea that only communist Russia should remain communist. This is their idea. Um, This is, Stalin's whole journey is beautifully displayed in a book by George Orwell called Animal Farm, and I recommend everybody read it. It is a very, very short book. It can be read in two days. I read it in four, but... Something around there. But it's a very small book, and it is extremely, extremely accurate. And rather, it's a satire, but it is a beautiful book. Anyways, the Czechists and the vanguards wanted, mainly the vanguards, wanted to spark revolution in other nations. They wanted their revolution to be an inspiration, a spark that ignites a bonfire over the whole world for the workers to revolt and become socialists, because they believed it to be a paradise. This came just as their own inspiration from the French Revolution. This had done the same thing to them. When they wanted to revolt, they looked at the success or failings of the French Revolution. Ironically enough, they did have the fear of the reign of terror, fearing that their own revolution would have similar effects. Alas, their great fear was realized in a much more horrible way. Horrible way. They had a reign of terror of their own, enforced often by the hands of the Cheka, the NKVD, and the KGB. Their reign of terror was not so open, though, not so public. Instead, it was the quiet nights, the nights where you would wake up and your neighbors aren't in line for the one bathroom in your apartment building. And then you know who it was the Black Marias had come from last night. The Russian, the Soviet, the communist reign of terror, was the great show trials that took place later when Comrade Stalin took power, when the people who committed some unpardonable sin was taken to the Lubyanka and shot, or exiled. The Lubyanka is said to be the world's tallest building, as from its basement in Moscow one can see the forests of Siberia. It's hard to stand in that basement, though, as uh, weirdly, the floor is slanted. Yet one still has hopes when descending, because when you get down there, there are still some doors behind you you can hope they just might leave. But the floor is slanted only to help you clean the blood away, and the doors have nothing but solid brick behind them. They are there for the purpose of keeping bullets from ricocheting back into the shooters. This is the Russian reign of terror, and it would last for almost as long as the communist government was in power. Soon after the Bolsheviks threw off their cloaks and announced themselves communists, they had a few promises to honor. The only one they could actually offer, or even would offer, would be peace. The Russians were tired of war, but the road to peace with Germany would be bumpy, one having stalls in the negotiations. But once the negotiations did stall, Trotsky managed to coerce the Politburo into reconsidering negotiations with Germany, ultimately leading to peace. Around this time, something else began to form, though a string of concentration camps, all throughout the massive country instituted by Lenin, similar to a certain geological figure, a structure, an archipelago, which of course would eventually turn into the infamous Gulag Archipelago, not so affectionately named by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It was also during this time, and indeed a little bit earlier, that another powerful figure who'd been lurking in the shadows began to emerge, Iacevich Dushkashvili. This man joined the Bolsheviks in 1903, going only by the name of Koba. Very good and very fitting name to go by, for this was a legendary Robin Hood slash Arthurian character, a fitting name because for years he was famous for robbing banks, then giving the proceeds to the Bolshevik efforts. He would later change his name in 1912 to the Man of Steel, or Stalin, a name by which he would go for the rest of his life. He was an unlikely leader, an even more unlikely idol, with which he would unanimously become. Something began years before in the mid-1910s, similar to Lenin, he was exiled to Siberia. During that time, he began to gain a following of people. They began to intentionally form a cult-like behavior around him, for he had a reputation of brutality already then. Despite the fact that his face was ravaged by smallpox, he was short, stout, and he had a squeaky voice. Nevertheless, he would have enough of a personality and a political, bureaucratic intellect that he gained power His subordinates formed a cult of personality around him, and this would be one of the reasons he took over the Soviet Empire. You see, he did two things very, very well, two key things that got him high enough to vie for the throne when Lenin fell ill by stroke and later heart attack. They say that when Lenin died... Scientists collected his brain, and he had so much severe strokes that when they tapped the outside of his cranium, or his cerebellum, it actually cracked. Nevertheless, the first thing that Stalin did was to befriend the man, and the second was to take the position of the general secretary. This gave him all authority and power to appoint people into governmental positions. Of course, this quickly spiked his political favors and his political power because of that. As very quickly, many people began to owe him favors, a genius move by a genius bureaucrat. He also befriended Lenin, and this was perceived all the way to Lenin's death. He must have had some level of luck because as Lenin suffered massive strokes and died, before he could expose Stalin's tyrannical secret, or maybe not so secret, Other half. The public at large still perceived these two as the greatest of comrades and good, fast friends. So Stalin was asked to organize Comrade Lenin's funeral, which he did. But he did one other important thing he ensured that his arch rival, Leon Trotsky, had the wrong date and time for the funeral. So he was noticeably absent when the hero of Soviet Russia's funeral began. And it was here that Stalin from then on, became the sole ruler of Soviet Russia, keeping a firm death grip on the throne of the Union of Soviet Socialist Russia until his own death, much, much later. So, folks, that is kind of the origin story of communist Russia, which would be a major, in fact, the only other major player, ...in the Cold War. I know we didn't talk much about the Cold War in a series about the Cold War... ...but this first episode is to get the backdrop, the important information... ...that comes from this important, important historical event. We have to understand the players to understand the event, the game itself. So, this is an important backdrop to what we will be discussing... Next week, the actual start of the Cold War. So I hope you guys can appreciate how important that information is because it's extremely telling what goes on inside of a government. It tells you that one of these players was standing for truth, beauty, and freedom, the other for complete oppression and power. Because one must understand that it is only a very few and very certain people that actually prosper from communism. I talked about it in my episode from communism, and it's beautifully displayed in the book Animal Farm by George Orwell. I recommend everybody read it, and if you guys are interested in this topic, I recommend you listen to another podcast. They're not a sponsor, nothing like that. It's just great information. It's called The Cold War, What We Saw, presented by Bill Whittle and The Daily Wire. It is phenomenal information, it's what inspired me to do this own episode here, and so I recommend you go listen to that. Of course, before I close out the episode, I have to ask you guys, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed what I've been doing, please consider going to my Patreon, or simply just share the show, uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, where I give other stuff, um... Leave ratings and reviews on Apple and iTunes and Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. If they allow ratings and reviews, please uh, rate. If you guys know other people that would be interested in this podcast, please just recommend it to them. It's extremely helpful if you guys just do word of mouth or if you leave ratings and reviews, it helps other people see the show. It boosts the statistics, all of that stuff. So if you guys have enjoyed this, please just consider passing it on to one friend. Leave a rating and a review. And anyways, thank you. If you guys do that, go learn something new. Go learn something real in the meantime. And I'll be back next week with some more food for thought.